0: Welcome to Geek Exploration, the podcast where we had a blast reading 400 pages of comic excellence in 24 hours. I'm Ben
1: Robinson. And I'm John Williams. Get ready for one man's love letter to the superheroics of yesteryear. We're talking DC, the new frontier.
0: Hey, how you doing, Ben? I'm doing really well. I had a, a very productive and lonely week. Oh, what happened? I was potentially exposed to COVID, so I just kind of hung out in my garage room thing for a week until I could take a test, and it came up negative, so I mean, it was, it was all just precautionary, but uh, I got a lot of shit done. I, like, rebuilt my 3D printer and uh, printed a bunch of stuff for this little project I'm working on and played some video games and read a comic book. It was great.
1: Did you sleep out here too? Fuck no. Oh, okay.
0: The couch out here sucks, and there's no heat, so I slept inside. I did sleep with a mask on though, which sucked.
1: Oh, weird. Yeah, it was awful.
0: Just, just in case, to give my wife a little bit more. I mean, if honestly though, if I got sick, she's probably gonna get it. I mean, you know, when you're in a family situation, it it probably goes around. But you know, you do your best to minimize it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did the responsible thing. I'm proud of you.
0: Yeah. I woke up one morning and like my ears were hurting I'm like, what's going on? And I was like, oh, yes, I've got a mask on my face. And it was there all night. I wonder
1: if if the uh, if the impact of a mask being on your face is lessened at all because you're so used to having a giant bushely mustache that goes right down to like your goatee, you know, so like you've already you've already got a lot going on in that area of your face.
0: You know, I don't know. I mean, I probably feel the mask itself less, but the effects are still felt like it can make you, uh, itchy. Like when I wear like an N95, like a dust mask that fits real fucking tight, Mm -hmm. it definitely gets a little itchy around the rim there after a while because I've got a bunch of hair.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, how about you? I'm, I'm glad you are, I'm glad you're healthy and that you can, uh, you can hang out in the house and I'm glad that that test came up negative before I came around here. Holy shit. Oh yeah. If it hadn't, I, I, probably would have told you i imagine you would have (laughs) i I hoped you would have um i'm doing well as well i can't think of anything new that's happened like anything i could say about what's going on in my life was the same thing that i said last week
0: hey that's not bad yeah yeah mission nominal is not a bad thing
1: (laughs) yeah but you know like you said in your intro I'm super stoked that I had a uh, a reason to be duty-bound to go back and read this story again, because I don't know if our listeners know this about me. Yeah, I mean, well, every, every show can be somebody's first show, so I am a huge, huge Darwin Cook fan. I love this creator so much. Sadly, we lost him in 2016, but I just love his work to death, and... I was thinking about it. I think we were on, uh, we were on somebody else's show promoting uh, Space Oddities. And they asked us what our favorite comic book was. And, I mean, it's weird that I hadn't ever even thought of it. Like, I've got, you know, a top three favorite movies and shit. But, like, I, I don't know if I've ever really ranked comic book stories. And, you know, I, I gave it some thought for a minute. And DC Fr- New Frontier was right on the top of that. You know, like, I, I really, really love this story. Yeah, it is a good one. It's probably been
0: 5 years or so since I read it last and uh it was a joy reading through it all again. Like it was it is a great fucking book. And uh you've brought it up on the show a couple times like as your recommendation now I think. Yeah. The last debrief we did, I think it was your recommendation. So it's like uh yeah, you know what? It is really good. We should also read it again.
1: Yeah, Darwin Cook in general was my was my latest recommendation and yeah, it was not the first time I'd done that. I just caught myself In a situation where I hadn't planned on a recommendation, I was like, well, this shit's always good. So if you haven't listened to me before, (laughs) uh, I'm going to remind you. Yeah, this shit's great. So when we were trying to figure out a topic a couple nights ago, because we are so unprepared... But I say we end the show saying next week's, uh, or next full show's topic. So we have people, uh, we give people time to I agree. join in on the conversation. We should pick it. Did we, have we picked it? We have not. But, okay.
0: <laughs> but we will. We should, we'll do that um, within an hour or two.
1: Yeah, we've got a list. It's, it's a pretty good list. Um, you know, when we were talking a couple nights about it, a couple nights ago about it, it seemed like the thing to do. You know, why not?
0: Yeah, I, w- I wanted to do a comic story. It's been a little while since we did one, and, uh. This is, this is a good one. I, it's, it's a known quantity.
1: Yeah. And, it, and like you were saying, we didn't need to just do a Batman or a Superman story. You know, like the, we, we needed something that branched out a little bit, even though they're very much involved in this, but it's definitely more of a Green Lantern and Martian Manhunter story. And, well, I don't know. I mean, DC universe of the 60s or 50s and, and 60s uh, in general. You know? Yeah,
0: no, it's got every, everyone's there. Like, Superman isn't forward on this. Batman, like, Batman and Superman are around, but they're, they're definitely not the main players.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a world where the Justice Society was the superhero team during World War II. And then with the emergence of the Cold War and Senator McCarthy's, you know, communist witch hunts, they, uh, you know, the Justice Society quit years before the, before civil war ever came out you had to register uh with the government if you wanted to be a superhero so everyone pretty much quit except for superman and wonder woman who became employees basically and then batman was an outlaw but uh you know other than that you know vigilantes were were it was illegal you're gonna get busted yeah and the, the general
0: thrust of this story is it, it's basically setting up the justice league Yes. It's a a reimagining of, like, the the origin of the Justice League of America, the JLA. I thought it was really interesting how he went about that, because he wanted to, like, retell that story, but, well, the story hadn't really been told. Like, you know, the the JLA just kind of started with them existing, and Darwin Cook, uh, you know, decided he wanted to tell the story of how the JLA came about, and kind of like you said, in the intro, write a love letter to the books that he read growing up and the heroes that that he adored and and put them in a more modern context where where he's able to kind of touch subjects that they weren't necessarily allowed to touch back in, you know, when they were contemporary.
1: Yeah, like like th- this book was like the a, a perfect like amalgamation of like the simple, pure heroic ideals of the era, but it was also allowed to tackle things in comics that they weren't that they wouldn't dare do. You couldn't have a superhero in war as a civilian, like you did with Hal Jordan. Um, you know, you couldn't openly question the validity of a war that that the U.S. was involved in. You couldn't talk about, you know, the McCarthy witch hunt uh, tactics. Um, You couldn't address racism in such a direct manner, you know, where you have like the KKK and lynch mobs. And I mean, some even though it's it's only in the text, like it's some heavy shit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The whole John Henry thing And, and
0: and, you know, having the heroes unapologetically like, uh, identify with John Henry and, mm-hmm. and what he was doing and, and, and know that it was right. I mean, they, they had to be nuanced back then about uh, things that were objectively wrong that we don't have to be nuanced yeah. about anymore. We can just be like, you know what? The clan sucks. Fuck those guys.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, Darwin Cook was somebody who was very outspoken about uh, comic books, wa- you know, needing to be innocent and accessible to children because that's who they were for. Like he really resented the fact that as the children grew up with comics, that they forced comics to grow up with them. Um, He wasn't a big fan of the Dark Knight Returns or Watchmen because of what they did to comics, you know, where all of a sudden things had to be dark and edgy and it, it made Superman and Batman enemies, essentially. So he wasn't a big Image Comics fan. No. That nineties nineties fucking edgelord
0: comics wasn't his thing.
1: No, and, and I mean like he he even, you know, didn't have much uh much love for artists who when he was a child, I, I read an interview, he loved Neil Adams, but he realized as he got older that Neil Adams wasn't good for the industry because it placed um, too much emphasis on illustration rather than storytelling. And he says that that it was that mentality that led to image guys. Oh yeah. And um even someone like Alex Ross, he kind of had the same feelings about. Um oh, which, really yeah, I don't know. I mean I don't know Alex Ross is a pretty good storyteller too.
0: I, I I can see like, you know, Jim Lee or uh Todd McFarlane where like the art is so forward. Yeah, yeah. And
1: so detailed. Rob Liefeld. Well, yeah, well, and it wasn't good. I was gonna <laughs> say at least
0: the other two are good.
1: <laughs> Darwin Cook also didn't have much love for for um what he referred to as revisionist bullshit. Of classic characters, so like Hal Jordan in uh, in the '90s, you know, I think it was late '80s, early '90s. You know they had they had done like Emerald Dawn, I think it was, where they gave him a story where he was like a drunk driver, and I don't I don't think he killed anyone. He might have hurt someone, I don't know, but he like went to jail for it and shit. But like they, all of a sudden, they were just like giving people stories that that were forcing them to grow up and be more mature rather than being accessible to children. Barry Allen was dead, you know, Superman died batman had his back broken and then somebody was coming in as batman killing people you know like i i think he he just he was a he was an advocate for the innocence of uh of comic books
0: Well, and and, you know the purity of the heroes you know like uh, there's something to be said for stories with complex heroes where you know they've they've got their own demons and this and that but i i don't think that should take the place of having someone like like you know like a superman with a bunch of inner demons i'm not really interested in that no like part of his character is the fact that he is you know a paragon of of righteousness and and to make him like dark and gritty it kind of misses the point i mean you could have like a spawn like you can make a new character like spawn where he's got all kinds of shit to deal with uh and that's fine because you're it's not you're not going back and changing an existing character Mm -hmm. you just make it you know if you want to do some edgy guy that needs to learn lessons and uh, you know and has a good side and a dark side and has to fight that and whatever you know go for it make a new character you don't have to go fiddle fucking around with the guys
1: that already exist yeah superman should be fighting outer demons not inner demons yes he's he's the one powerful enough to do it so with darwin cook you know he had he had broken onto the scene in, in a, you know, in a real way, uh, working with the Bruce Timm studio on Superman, the animated series, um, Batman, the animated series, or, like, I guess it was the New Adventures at that point when they brought it back for our season, and um, Batman Beyond. And that, you know, caught the eye of some people, so then they, they did a Batman Ego, which he had used 14 pages of as his, like, portfolio to be a storyboard artist for the, for the Timm studio. And then um, he did some Catwoman work, and, which is all great. And all of this is great. I've got it all on my bookshelf. And then he was approached by DC and his editor, Mark uh, Chiarello, or Chiarello. I'm not sure exactly how it's pronounced. I've heard both. Um, it might be Chiarello, for all I know. Um, Fucking racist.
0: <laughs> oh, come on. No,
1: no, no. No, no, no. Uh, that'd be like saying, mozzarella. You know, like, that, that's just, that. never mind. It's uh, me, shit. Chiarello. <laughs> um, they wanted him to do something with the Justice League. And he was thinking like, well, I don't know what I could do with the Justice League. Like at that moment in time, it was Grant Morrison's, you know, seminal run on the title. And, you know, it was, that that was all going pretty well. And I don't think Darwin Cook really felt... Um, at ease with it, so he looked back at the comic books of his childhood. It was
0: like early. That was like early mid two thousands, right?
1: Um, it was late nineties. Like I think they first oh, okay. approached him in ninety nine. Oh, wow. So
0: it, yeah, it took a while for this to come around. Though.
1: Yeah, I think I think this published in two thousand four. Is that correct? That sounds right. Yeah, I, th- I think that's when it actually finally happened. Which you know, a project of this scope, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, but he reached back into his childhood when things were simpler, and he realized when looking at it that the timeline of when these heroes were first published would work really well as, like, a timeline for this book. So basically, the way he, he laid it out is that the book would take place starting with the creation of Flash, or at least that time, which was 1956, in showcase number whatever. But that's when, you know, Barry Allen became the Flash, which some argue started the Silver Age. And then going up through 1960, when the Justice League was formed.
0: Yeah, and then when the Brave he, and the Bold came
1: out. Yes. And he took all of those characters, like origin stories, when they were first published and used that as the history for the story.
0: In like the, com, what is it, the complete edition or the.
1: I'd believe it. The, the,
0: the, the one with all this errata in the back of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there was the absolute edition and yeah, then, and then edition. The, new, the new one that's paperback under black label. I can't remember what it's called, but I think it's got all of that stuff in it now.
0: In in the back of it, he's got his like rules for continuity, which I thought were really like like really cool and and interesting when you read the book. Uh, he's got five of them. One was the timeline is is real and covers forty five to sixty. That's and basically like like just what you said, where it starts where wherever the character was first published. That's mm-hmm. when they pop into the story, and I think that is a super cool idea. Yeah. Any other retcons like you were talking about with uh, Drunk Drive and Hal Jordan, like none of those have happened. Like, this is it's all OG, you know, Silver Age heroes. Yeah. None of the retcons that he was doing could contradict the original continuity. They could complement it or tweak it, but like they couldn't contradict anything uh, as far as origin stories went or, uh, you know, actions they took prior to mm-hmm. the JLA forming. Uh, when the story ended, everything had to be set up just like it was before brave and the bold number one came out mm-hmm. and uh the, the fifth one which i love is uh snapper car doesn't exist <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you know what this guy fuck this guy you're gonna keep all the continuity straight except for that fucking guy
1: you know to be honest that kind of bothers me now <laughs> i mean come on just throw snapper in there somewhere have him have him run out a bottle of water to green arrow or some shit um you know what what i love about Rule number three there was something that I hadn't even thought about until I was actually driving out here. And I had to take a note just like stream of conscious as I was driving on my phone. You know, I, I love that that all these characters have like ongoing stories in this uh, in, in New Frontier that fit into their original origins, but without it having to be the focus. You know, like it's not just like it's not just focused on their origins, you know, and, and like, you know, in Showcase. Or in, uh, you know, Green Lantern's first appearance or something. It's like, you've got Hal Jordan, test pilot, ring. He's a superhero now. But in, in this one, you get to see he was in a war. He's been working for years trying to get into a position where he can go see the stars. Like, you spend so much more time with Hal Jordan oh, than you do man. Green Lantern. And, and, like, the whole time he's, like, working these shit jobs, working this shit job, trying to get to this place. And, you know, it's... It's the story of Hal Jordan that ends with with him becoming Green Lantern.
0: Yeah, like I think you you get introduced to Hal Jordan like within the first thirty pages, maybe, like it, pretty soon. And but like the whole Green Lantern origin thing doesn't happen until like somewhere well after the two hundreds.
1: Yeah, two thirds of the way through the the yeah. entire thing.
0: And it's interesting and compelling to read his story. Like like he is a a fully fleshed out character with with regrets and motivations and desires and and all that and and it, it it's it's more satisfying when he becomes the green lantern because you know more about him than just he's a test pilot.
1: Yeah. He's a test pilot with no fear and oh whoops you're a green lantern now. You understand a little bit better why the ring
0: chose him. Mhm. Uh, like it's it it makes sense. It's Good not call. just like you're not just taking the, you know the book's word for it that he was the you know bravest man on earth so they gave him the ring. <laughs> That's true with almost every single character in this book. Yeah. It is brilliantly written. And it struck me as kind of, you know, I I get it, but it was a, a little odd when you were talking about how he really wanted, you know, comics to be innocent and good for kids and kids can read them. And, you know, kids can absolutely read this book. That rings true. But it's got a lot of fairly mature themes in it. Yeah. I mean, nothing like that would be offensive that you wouldn't want your kids reading necessarily. There's no
1: boobs. There's no, there's yeah, no penetration. There's no like,
0: yeah, exactly. There's nothing that, that's like, you know, there's no gore or anything like that, but there are a lot of really heavy themes and very, uh, you know, very, I I say like mature themes, but not like in like, you know, the rating system where it's raunchy, but like just thoughts of like, you know, what does America stand for? What is freedom? You know, big conceptual things in this book that a 10-year-old's not really going to get.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, going back to the John Henry thing, you know, like, how his story ends in the book. Like, you know, yeah. there's a hard end in there. And then there's, you know, description of you know, the despicable nature of some human beings back in that time, like shit like that actually happened. People got beaten and hung and set on fire like, yeah. in town squares. Like that's, insane
0: there's a there's a couple like you know you know racial slurs and things that you would be that would be you know insensitive language in this book Mm -hmm. and and i'm glad that they that they're not that they're there because they they serve a purpose they're not just gratuitous yeah they're there because they illustrate the the zeitgeist of the time and the fact that people would just you know that a little a little girl would just uh blurt out the n-word yeah And result in a man's death uh, is telling for what the situation at the time was.
1: I'm curious if the newer versions still have that in there or if it's been censored somehow.
0: The one I read, I I downloaded, you know, I bought from Comixology.
1: Look at you, upstanding citizen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) look at money bags just buying digital comics
0: oh uh, and, and like i would have preferred to buy a physical one but then i would have had to like go somewhere and do something and uh you know they prey on convenience
1: you'd have been shit out of luck because i tried finding it for our buddy preston when i was uh seeing him around christmas time and i couldn't find it anywhere amazon's got a turbo sale on it right now it's like 21 bucks yeah i think it was like 18 bucks for the digital one oof,
0: oof. which yeah it's a bit much but uh but it's worth having. It's a good book. So, But uh, but I just downloaded it, and I think it's the most recent version. I okay. mean, it was published by B- DC Black Label, so it may just okay. be
1: yeah. the digital version of that paperback one you were talking about, and everything was still there. Okay. You know, another character is Martian Manhunter, who, so far, like, all you've known is, okay, he was a Martian, he got zapped here on accident, and the scientist died, and he became a superhero and a detective. But they fleshed out his story so well, showing him learning about culture through television and you know wanting you know him deciding to be one of the good guys and i love like the the little the little uh like detective fiction segment with him and slam bradley as they're going to going to fight some cultists and uh and yeah. rescue a little kid in first appearance yeah, of batman into too batman. but i love how you know he's just he's golly and he's like blast it all you know like like and and slam bradley is actually making fun of him and i love Seeing that innocence, you know, of a character, but we can look at it, you know, because like characters back then in comic books spoke like that. Even though it wasn't, it probably wasn't a very realistic way for a human being to speak. So Slam Bradley's calling it out in the moment. Oh yeah, and he learned
0: how to speak from you know watching 1950s TV. Mm-hmm. Like that's how he learned what American culture was, and so of course he's going to talk like that. That's that seems normal to him. And I, I love that set of panels where he's watching TV and it's kind of explaining that and like and it has shows him turning into Groucho Marx and Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. It's just freaking brilliant. Yeah. I wish he chose Bugs Bunny as his form instead. <laughs> just ran around as Bugs Bunny.: walking down the street as a cartoon bunny.
1: <laughs> I wonder what I wonder what that would look like like in the real world, like a three-dimensional form of a two-dimensional cartoon character It would probably be frightening I'm sure there's like a like a 3D animated
0: actually, I, I bet uh, whatever
1: I didn't see it, but the new space jam I'm sure has that I think there were. I don't think they were 3D animated. I think they kept it I think they kept it uh kept it flat. Oh, really? Good. Maybe. I, uh, I don't, I don't actually one know. One good thing about it. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I saw like 20 seconds of it the other day, but I don't even remember. This is not a Space Jam episode. No. that. Uh, can I can I go out on a limb and say there never will be a Space Jam episode? <laughs> <laughs> I would I'm sorry I for I think that's
0: pretty accurate. <laughs> I
1: know there 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 is a huge following for Space Jam cuz clearly is people there? got so yeah. People who I think were like Four years younger than us, fucking love space jam, like I think we missed the cutoff for that, yeah maybe and and uh that's why when when people when they uh revealed the the new design for Lola, yeah Lola Bunny, and she wasn't all all sexy, like people just lost their fucking marbles
0: it I was, mean she was a cartoon rabbit. Was she really ever sexy? I mean, like, I, I get, like, she had the proportions of what a sexy woman,
1: yeah. you know, the a yeah, sexy woman would be. But, I mean, it's a cartoon rabbit, guys. They got rid of her tits and her short shorts. Uh, so well, people people are freaking out.
0: <laughs> what was she other than Bugs Bunny with tits and short shorts?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, Space Jam episode. Uh <laughs> Uh, not going to happen. Um, you know, th- I, this, this won't really fit right here, but I'm going to do it anyway. I remembered I took a picture of an interview I was uh, reading with Darwin Cook when he was talking about, you know, comic books having had to, you know, grow up with people. Um, but he said, uh, it, it just it struck me funny. He said, the older, reader, or the, older the reader has gotten, the, the bigger bang he needs for his buck. It's like stealing a peek at Julie Newmar when you're 12 will do it for you. By the time you're 40, you need to see full-blown gangbang with all the cum shots. I was like, <laughs> if, <laughs> that was a great way to, to put that.
0: Image comic in the 90s, full-blown gangbang with the cum shots. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, but, but it's true. I remember yeah. being a kid and looking at the JCPenney underwear section of the catalog.
0: Yeah, with wide-eyed wonder.
1: Yeah. Darwin Cook also was very, very outspoken about all of these things and like you know if from all accounts he was somebody who was just like the nicest guy in the world but he you know he loved to have a drink and but he he was very opinionated and very loud and good you know like i i think those are my people i think if 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 he met somebody the same as him from you know the the opposite side of a, of the opinion spectrum he'd probably get in a fist fight with him a fist fight yeah. hot shit yeah
0: damn that's a that is a passionate man.
1: Yeah, I'm sad I never met him. All right, so where were we before Space Jam?
0: Uh, we were talking about how
1: wonderful his characters were, and oh, how well yeah. fleshed out they were. Uh, the, the other one, real quick, was just uh, was Barry Allen's Flash because yeah. you know he was the first one to really become become a superhero in the Silver Age, like long you know years before all of these other characters in there. So they have him as a superhero, you know, like, like they show his origin real quick. It's like one page. Maybe yeah, and just a couple panels even. I think it's just one panel and then, like, you know, a news report talking about it. And they don't waste time showing a big origin for him, but instead decide to spend the time with him being a superhero, but but on kind of a low level, you know? Like, he's not saving galaxies or anything. Like, he's got his relationship with Iris that, that is so adorable. Like, he's talking to her on the phone and Captain Cold, like, freezes her hand and, and messes her up and he just instantly takes off. I love how they played the uh, the Speed Force, like, like yeah. or how they thought about it, how he's like, he waits until he's out of city grounds to unload because he, otherwise- It's going to be a gonna... big
0: sonic boom.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And them talking about how he vibrates his molecules so he doesn't run into bugs or light poles or anything. I'm like, that's really fucking smart. But then when he shows up, you know, like- in a blink of an eye, he warms up her hand and and gives her a kiss, and then goes to to fight Captain Cole. I love that
0: panel where where, where it just means like, and then I and then I took and then I took a little sugar. Uh-huh. And it shows him kissing her real quick. It's like ah, I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and classic. And then to like like his his story is like I am a superhero, but what am I doing with this? You know, because he's inspired by Jay Garrick, the the Flash of World War Two, and then when the government is trying to stop him, like he he has a crisis and he has to step away. You know, and, and then and then come back to it eventually. But like, whereas Martian Manhunter is having the the crisis of whether or not to, you know, humanity is worth it. You know, Flash is like, oh, humanity is totally worth it. And he's like, wait, wait, what are these fuckers doing to me? Like, why yeah, is this happening? I can't
0: take this risk. Yeah. You know, I can't put Iris in danger. Yeah. And so he steps back. And, and you know, when the ultimate threat comes, I, I love that scene with him and Iris. And she's just like, yeah, I know you're the Flash and you got to go. Mm-hmm. You know, and they hug, and then he fucking leaves. And fucking goes and does what heroes must do. Saves the day. Yeah, it's fucking great. Yeah. And even the characters that are, you know, like I would say, the minor, the lesser characters, <laughs> like Superman and Wonder Woman. Like, they're here, but like, you don't... They're kind of just taken as a given in this. Like, you, there's no origin for them. They've just been around. And But what you do get out of them is they're... A little bit of their dynamic. You know, I mean, they're obviously you know, close colleagues and they care a lot about each other, but they have like a, a bit of a clash of politics. Like when, Mm -hmm. when he finds her in that uh, village in Cambodia or whatever, and they're all partying and he's like, you know, and he sees all the dead bodies everywhere. And he's like, what the fuck happened? She's like, I'm not allowed to kill anybody and intervene. So I just, you know, took their weapons and left them in the field and then let these, uh, you know, sex slave women out. And you know, they did what they had to do. Yeah. And, uh, She's fucking right. I love that Wonder Woman, where she's just like, "This is the right thing. I'm gonna do it." You need to get your head out of your ass, Superman. Yeah, and calls him out. And uh, I also love that she's like six inches taller than him.
1: Yeah, which is fucking awesome. Yeah, she's she. I mean, she's a woman of stature. She is. She is a true Amazon. Man. Amazon. Yeah. yeah, and and I really do love that. You know that we want to see true justice. And and when she when you know when she lays it out like that, like. These women were kept in tiger cages and were being raped and they watched their spouses and their children get murdered in front of them. Here you're like, "Oh, well, of of course this is justice." Like yeah. like yeah, f- fuck off Superman. Like
0: it, like it might be vengeance too to a degree, but like like she said she's like, "I gave them freedom. That's what we're here to do, right?"
1: Yeah, the the American way. Yeah, she yeah. fucking calls him out. I love it. And I I do love that, you know, even though Especially after Dark Knight Returns, Superman has been portrayed as like the fucking goody goody. Like in in Dark Knight Returns, he was just a straight up government stooge. Yeah, but I like that in this one, there's a there's a little less like hatred towards him for working for the government. You know, like he's trying to do what's right for the world in the only way he can. You know, without becoming an outlaw like Batman. So you know, he he still sees things through kind of, I guess, naive, you know, like colored glasses of, of growing up on a farm in Kansas. So he's yeah. like, he's like, you can't kill people. Like that is the worst thing in the world you can do. But he doesn't understand that it's like, no, 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 this world fucked these people over and these people are just doing a little fucking back.
0: And And there's no way that those guys weren't going to realize the error. Like, you weren't going to teach them a lesson and no. make them productive members of society again, like... Uh,
1: Especially when the government has sent them there on, like, covert missions, you know? And that was another thing he was butthurt about was that, you know, they're just supposed to be, you know, observing and, and you know, helping out on a low level. It doesn't
0: paint him as the stooge. Like, it, like, it becomes clear later on that, that him and Batman were kind of working together, like his him and Batman respected each other. And like the whole fight where Batman got away was, was more or less staged because, you know, Bruce, I need you to keep doing what you're doing. What they want to do to you is wrong. And I'm not going to actually help capture you. You know, he, so he's not, he hasn't drank the Kool-Aid fully, but he, he believes in America and mm-hmm. believes that the people that are running the country also believe
1: in America. And so he's kind of stuck between those two contradictions. You know, that that's a really interesting point about this that I that I really like is that Darwin Cook isn't just straight up calling out what's fucked up about America and you know Eisenhower and McCarthy and like the fucked up shit. Like he's not just Nixon straight up pushing saying, Wonder Woman to the side and yeah. shutting her out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he's not saying fuck America because it no. was fucked up back then. He's saying there was some fucked up shit. But America was still, you know, like a place that that had all sorts of hope for the future.
0: He very much believes and has a lot of reverence for the American ideal.
1: Yes, I think
0: I like and sure. Yeah. Has America always lived up to its ideals? No. I mean, has America ever lived up to its ideals? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but don't discount the ideals. Like, I mean, they're like this is not an this is a very pro-American book despite all the warts and flaws saying like hey what america has to offer is important and that was the the dichotomy of that era you know the the post-war to to like the 1960s before Mm -hmm. you know the counterculture movement and stuff kicked in and vietnam and all that shit where america really appreciated its ideals while simultaneously failing to live up to them it was like a weird contradiction of that time in american history where we were so blatantly off course and very much proud of ourselves for being so great you know because we'd won the war we were routing out the commies
1: the economy was great everyone was settling down and having families a, a weird time
0: in history where people um believed in America more than they more than they do now I'd say like I mean like absolutely. the average american absolutely believed in america and american ideals more back then than they do now but they almost you know almost universally failed to live up to them yeah and and didn't recognize the 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 contradiction or the irony in that at all at the time
1: yeah there there was a whole lot of we are the best we love each other cuz we're we're doing the greatest things in the world and we're the greatest country but also, you don't look like me, so get the fuck out of this place that I'm at. Yeah. Like, Whoa. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And, and the interesting part about that is that uh, Darwin Cook was Canadian. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, being Canadian, you know, you're the hat of America. So, I mean, like, you, you consume a lot of Ameri- like yeah. American, like, you read American comic on. books. Like, I mean, you're very much integrated into what American society
1: is. But- it's only technically an import. Yeah, exactly.
0: But he had but he had a lot of reverence for the American ideal. And because of that reverence, was very willing and uh, competently did kind of like show off the flaws with this book. Like that was the, a big drive of this book is like, hey, you know, our, our heroes need to live up to their ideals. So do we. And uh, I think he did a really good job of it. <laughs> it's fucking great.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I love that you know we've got our big justice league characters um that that we've talked about here but what he also did was he was able to integrate in other silver age staples in a way that that didn't seem it didn't seem forced and it didn't seem didn't seem weird even though if you were to go to to an average comic book reader of you know today who i mean i would venture to call myself a reasonable you know reasonably big geek as far as comic books go like i've 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 done some deep dives. I'm not, you know, I don't know what issue everybody premiered in, but, like, yeah. I know a reasonable amount of comic book history. I could hold my own in a conversation with the Turbo Geeks. But, like, your average reader isn't going to know, you know, the original lineup of the Challengers of the Unknown. They're not going to know about, you know, the Losers or, or you know, Rick Flagg or the original Suicide Squad Task Force X. You know, yeah. like, like Suicide Squad... Became a popular thing in the 80s when when it became, you know, Captain Boomerang and Deadshot and Enchantress and Bronze Tiger and shit. But, like, you know, they, they had lesser known, you know, in quotes, superhero characters, you know, because it, it was just, you know, I were talking about this, just their superheroics that made them superheroes. Yeah, they but didn't I mean,
0: actually have powers
1: necessarily. Yeah. But, like, Challenges of the Unknown, they were just, they were adventurers. You know, they were pre- fantastic four fantastic four you know i think yeah. i think jack kirby even worked on them in he the did. early days yeah. and, and Wally Wood. you know it's they were just they were adventure stories and you can see some of that that carried through you know like the 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 main brain guy and and his uh his pipe and then you got you know like rocky could have very easily been a ben grimm substitute you know um red what was his name red, red ryan yeah he's yeah. definitely johnny storm's analog for sure yeah and I don't know about Ace Morgan being a, uh... a Sue Storm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they did bring on a lady later on. Like, yeah. She yeah. not
0: Necessarily, there wasn't anything about her that was very Sue Stormy, other than you know she was a lady in, in she was an, a lady in
1: Silver Age comics. They were yeah. Uh, mm. They they didn't give them uh, that much dimension. But he did. Like he did, he he tried yeah.
0: to do a better job of you know fleshing all the characters out. To I mean, there's a lot of them in this. Yeah. I mean, with. The non-like canon or the non-like super, standard superhero DC guys, like you're talking about, there was a ton of them. Like this book opens up with a loser's story, mm-hmm. like a 32-page, you know, uh, the was it, the Isle that Time Forgot or something.
1: Yeah, Dino Island.
0: Yeah, <laughs> loser's story that is great. And for like a, you know, here's the book telling the origin of the JLA. That's uh,
1: it's a little ballsy. I'm, You know, I'm going to do you one better on on it being great. Like, it is beautiful. It is such a well-crafted, you know, cold open vignette that, you know... It, that doesn't seem to tie into the story until 200 pages later. Yeah, and it's not... You know, all said and done, I, I, we know this from the animated movie that came out. It's not exactly necessary, but... It's beautiful. Like it's it's great that it's there because it it fleshes out these characters and their history so much more. Like it, it's yeah, I I'm sorry. I I almost get emotional at the end of that that intro story because it's it's really beautiful and it has no superheroes in it whatsoever. Yeah, well, I think he called the uh
0: I think it's the last 4 pages of that with John Cloud, mm-hmm. like his like final sacrifice, those 4 pages. The greatest four pages of American comics that he will ever make. Damn. And it ends with that fucking phenomenal splash page of John Cloud, grenades in hands. You got the spoons and the pins in the foreground leaping into the mouth of a t-rex. Mm-hmm. Beautiful shot. Yeah. Like, this book is full of beautiful splash pages. Yeah. And the way he uses them is, is nothing short of brilliant. And that's that's the it's not the first splash page. There's a couple before that, like the one where he opens up where he's writing the story on the yeah. wall, and the one where they're blowing the T-Rex's arm off. But it was the first one that hit me hard. Where where you get where it's just you you like you you kind of know you know what's going to happen leading into that, but it doesn't need it doesn't need word balloons. It doesn't need any sort of explanation beyond what's in the image itself, mm-hmm. and it tells you everything you need to know in the most effective way possible.
1: You know, I I don't know. If it was ballsy or just, um, I I don't know, like it, it sets a tone for the story that is not exactly what you would expect from, from, you know, a bright four color superhero story. Cause like, you know, these guys are on a rescue mission going to dinosaur Island and, you know, in that 30, whatever, 32 pages, they all die like like Rick Flag yeah, Rick get, gets o- off. Only guy that makes it out of there. But you know, he that, that was who they were trying to trying to save. But you know, they they all die. Like they get to Dinosaur Island and it's terrifying and they all get killed.
0: Pretty quick too. Yeah. Like the the gunner, the first guy, he, like he dies right away. Yeah. <laughs> Just immediate.
1: So you know that that you're you're in a story that is serious. Like yeah. I mean, which was probably good of them to do because darwin cook's style is is not gritty and realistic like it's it's very much cartoony and you know has has a very retro uh style to it i i personally love it i think it's great it's yeah it is kind of like the anti-jim lee where Mm -hmm. it is it's
0: it's cartoony but it's not like silly like so when you say cartoony sometimes you think like you know uh Looney tunes. And it's not yeah. that. I mean, it's closer to like the Bruce Tim Batman stuff, except the the lines are a little heavier and scratchier.
1: Yeah, he definitely inks everything with a brush. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And uh I mean I really like it. Like I, mm-hmm. I love the art style, and I think he's I think you've mentioned it before, you know, he's a good visual storyteller. Like with you know, with the lack of detail that there is, he's able to get across, you know, facial expressions and body posture and stuff of what's happening. And you get the, an idea of what all the characters are doing and what's going on from the pictures as much as from the words. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when I was talking about the, the splash page things, like the, uh, one of the other ones that hit me was uh, when Hal Jordan is leaving to go do the fight. Oh, yeah. And uh, Carol Ferris, her word balloon ends mid-sentence, and then it just, you, you know, I'm assuming that was a page turn in the actual physical yep. book. And there's just a fucking splash page of them kissing with the, the rocket or with the engines firing in the background. And you didn't need word balloons there. Like, sure, they no. probably said something between the last panel and that one, but you didn't need it. All, what mattered in the story was that kiss.
1: Well, and and what I loved, like... Leading up to it, you see her like, you know, cause they're, they're, they're with like rocket engines, you know, firing up, getting ready to take off. She's like holding her hat the whole time while she's like yelling at him. And then in that one shot, her hat's flying, flying off behind her. Yeah, you know, Like, Oh, that's so great. And it's just like, it's like a, yeah, just shut up we're going to kiss and like like you can hear the 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 uh the the strings section swell oh, on yeah. that like if that was a movie
0: one well, i mean just and the inks and colors in that are so dramatic too mm-hmm. like they're they're considerably more the colors are more vibrant than most of the rest of the panels The lines are all real thick there's some heavy shadows and it's just it's it, it's a dramatic panel and tells you exactly what you need to know about what was happening
1: well, and I guess the, this is a this is a good time to bring up the the colorist Dave Stewart because Darwin Cook wrote and illustrated this whole thing. Yeah, but Dave Stewart came in to do the colors on it, and it was fucking brilliant. For exactly, I mean, it was exactly what this thing needed. Like, Dave Stewart is so fucking talented. He can do so many different types of coloring, but this one with its more animated style and um and you know, throwback to the old days, you know, like back in the old days, they didn't really even do shading. It was just flat color. Yeah. But in this one, he basically just did like one layer of shade and that's it. Like there weren't even like highlight layers or anything. It was always just one, one shade layer throughout the entire thing. And it was brilliant. It was perfect.
0: Yeah. It feels Silver Age. Yeah. I mean, the whole book feels Silver Age. Like it feels like an old comic, but with a little bit more honesty and historical heft to it. Yeah. But it like, I, I love that everyone's still got their old Silver Age costumes. Like, he kept the, co- like, S- Superman's got the old school S still, and Batman's got the tall,
1: pointy ears. Yeah. Superman's got the Fleischer S.
0: Yeah. Yes. And, and, uh, they even have like the newsreel where it shows Martian, you know, John John's watching like a, the, one of the
1: Fleischer comics. Yeah. Oh, one of the yeah, Fleischer yeah.
0: cartoons. When he meets Superman, he's, he's like, I like your cartoons. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking well, great. If there's one thing Darwin Cook hates, it is underpants. Cause boy, everything he he made sure that that there aren't any characters with any like crotch ride. Like the, it is all shorts. Oh yeah, like yeah. they are. They're they like are, all boy shorts. Yeah, they're trunks.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know what it, what he's got against the uh, the line of the underpant. but but uh, boy, he made sure no no one had that
0: in the Silver Age. I don't think there was a whole lot of like high riding underpants,
1: was there? I don't know. Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, like they they all they all had the the regular like. Tidy whitey line. Yeah, that kind of comes up to the top of the hips. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause I mean like the circus strongman, you know, would, would have that sort of yeah. suit. Or at least that that's what it was for Superman.
0: Well yeah, I like I love that like Batman rolls up in the old Batmobile with the mm-hmm. big bat face on the front of it. And like it's just it was it was fun seeing all the old costumes, not modernizing it at all, like making them I mean a little bit, but I mean making them look and feel of that era still. Yeah.
1: And even though this, this technically doesn't fall in his rules for continuity, but when they brought Robin in and they had Batman's look changed to, like, the the Dick Sprang, you know, like, 50s and 60s look, and, you know, and, and he has that line about, like, he wants to scare criminals, not children, you know, it was, it was cool seeing batman's evolution in that because you know when you first see him like he like you said those tall ears that flare out which i i hated when i was a kid oh, I, I love them so now <laughs> yeah whenever i'm redesigning a batman he's got those flared ears and uh and i wish they would have done that in, in the movies fuck that would look so fucking cool
0: yeah i hate the little ben
1: affleck baby ears oh yeah fucking frank miller man he did it well i mean i guess he went back to the old Dick Sprang, and even Adam West had had little teeny baby ears, but like Michael Keaton's cowl perfection yeah. <laughs> um but yeah it was fun watching him him go from the dark avenger who is actually scaring children as he's saving them to you know the the more lighthearted. yeah i'm glad we didn't see him in like a zebra suit or or you know scuba <laughs> suit or
0: anything well and it was a good tie-in too with with Ro- that line with robin because when he rescued when he's going to rescue that kid the kid's like no fucking get away from me yeah i'm freaking out because he's terrifying yeah. and uh i mean batman's supposed to be terrifying
1: do you want to talk actual story points, or
0: kind of so the story on this one's interesting because it's not the way this story's told is not it's not like your standard linear story where there's like there's not even really a single focus. like usually when you have something where like everything is coming together, you've got someone who you're focusing on most of the time, and yeah. then you kind of see how everyone else weaves into their story. and if there's anything close to that in this, it's probably Hal Jordan. He probably gets the most page time.
1: See, I I I think the story tells parallel journeys between uh Hal Jordan and Martian Manhunter. I feel like it is it is their stories even you know like you're saying there there isn't one hero for the hero's journey. But I feel like the story wouldn't really exist without either of the two of them. I feel like they're the necessary components that eventually come together. Yeah,
0: but but even that like it it like it's telling separate stories. Yeah. Up until like the last what 80 pages of the book when things finally come together yeah and uh, i mean it's really brilliantly done like it's that's that's hard to do to tell all these different stories and have them tie together and stay interesting and not get confusing and not get muddled and just bounce you know every you know it'll, it'll go anywhere from like five to twelve pages before you bounce to someone else doing something else.
1: Yeah, yeah. Even when they're when they're spending time with uh, Task Force X or um, the the origin of the Challengers of the Unknown, which other than them just being there for the for the last fight, like like you you could. I mean, I guess we could if we're talking about the animated movie. You could take the Challengers out of that altogether, like they did, and it doesn't actually kill the story at all. And I would say the animated movie definitely makes Hal the focus. Yes. You know, like, like yeah, the yeah, yeah. Martian Manhunter's story is still there throughout the whole thing, but it is definitely Hal's story.
0: I think it does miss something. In between the sections where, like, you're telling the, the important narrative point of these sto- characters going through the story, it's got all these little vignettes and mm-hmm. things like when they, when they go to the fight in Vegas, mm-hmm. right before Captain Cold attacks. The way it weaves all these characters in, like, Lois Lane's there, Bruce Wayne is there, um
1: ollie queen yeah,
0: oliver queen's there uh you know selena kyle selena kyle and Dinah uh, lance um, yeah everybody <laughs> ace is there
1: and, yeah ace and Hal. Hal
0: they're like everyone's f- fucking there but they're not in their hero capacity at all for like multiple pages it's just kind of going through them you know there's the fight and then there's the after party they're all kind of hanging out and talking to each other and then captain cold attacks and flash comes in and saves the day
1: Well, and that is a really, really great scene because like you said, vignettes, because there is not a single page outside of this vignette that has anything to do with Wildcat, you know, a retired member of the Justice Society. Yeah. Trying to get one last bit of glory fighting against Cassius Muhammad Clay. Ali. Yeah. Ali, yeah. Yeah. Before yeah, before he changed his name and and just And knocking him out. <laughs> yeah. Like like he's on the ropes, he's going out, and then there there's this really cool line. I I, I didn't write it down, but just about like how he doesn't know or you know, uh, Cassius Clay doesn't know what it is to fight for your life. And that's what he's putting into this one punch, you know? Yeah, and then like, and like he's I just like, I
0: swam across something with four bullet wounds or yeah. shit. Yeah. And, then and, just and fucking
1: screams and charges at him like a madman and knocks him the fuck out. Yeah. And, and he's just like, I'm Ted wildcat grant and I'm the champ for one more night or something like that. And, oh, it's yeah, like,
0: it's got, and then it cuts to that splash page mm-hmm. with his arms up and like the roses falling
1: and all the ticker tape. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Great. And then you look at all those characters too, like in that scene afterwards when they're in sort of like the green room, you know, having a chat. And they all look like they're like they're straight out of fifties Hollywood. Yeah. You know, like, oh, like yeah. they, they all look like they belong in that period and that they were, you know, it's like they were modeled after actors and actresses. Like I don't I don't remember what uh what Wildcat reminded me of, but if it was like a Rock Hudson or something.
0: Well and, and I love that uh the just the the general style cuz it's that 50s style like that in the casino all the uh all the waitresses are wearing like little space hats and mm-hmm. there's like you know it's like a space themed 50s uh casino and it's beautiful. Uh same thing with like the the car show that they go to later. There's yeah. like a car show s- scene where they're all meeting and talking about cars and shit. And they've got all these you know none of them are actual cars that are in the background but they're they're all solidly like over the top fifty st- style cars, yeah, concept cars, with cars. Like big fins and all this shit, and it's uh, it's just it's wonderful to look at, and and you get a lot of insight from as to who the characters are and how they interact with each other. That doesn't have anything to do with the main threat in in the in the book. Like the main, so I guess let's let's talk about the the villain yeah, for a
1: minute. The center, the centre.
0: for most of the book, like that simmering underneath the surface like you get little glimpses of the center you get little like there's the cultists is probably the first big thing where it's actually mentioned yeah and then it just kind of simmers for a while and you get like weird feelings of unease and things because like for the first majority of the book the protagonist there there is no protagonist yeah it's telling a story of america other than you know mccarthy and like you know the the ills of american society is kind of the force that's against the heroes at first And it's not until the big world-ending threat shows up at the end, the center, that they have to put that aside.
1: Yeah, and and I think even simmering is overplaying it. Yeah. Like, like it (laughs) is just barely there. Like, they mention it, and then, like, Batman and and Martian Manhunter are clearly interested in it. Yeah, like like, it's kind of there, but it's never... It's never like like the main motivation of of the plot, you know, or the the moving the the uh forward motion of the plot. Like like people aren't actually trying to actively figure this thing out so much, you know, or at least it's always under the surface. And it's not until the center actually shows up and is like, I'm gonna fuck everything up. And then and they're like, Oh shit, now we all gotta get together and fight. But yeah, it really is like a slice of life story for these characters that are going to become these heroes, and then it becomes the focus, you know, in in the last issue. And fighting it kind of against the the
0: strife of like the, they can't be heroes. Like Flash is a hero, and then you know it, it the government starts basically threatening his livelihood and his yeah his, they straight up try and to and try, and try to catch him and imprison him. And uh, and like he goes on TV and says he's retiring too, and the JSA is retired, you know, and it's like. A lot of these folks, they're they're some of them are reluctant heroes, but they're either reluctant for, for different reasons. You know, they're reluctant because they don't want the people around them to be hurt, or because they don't really, they're not sure what the right thing is, mm-hmm. or they're, uh, you know, they're just not confident with. It. Like even Hal Jordan, like he's like you know, doesn't really want to use the ring until he figures out what its full power is. Like he uses it to like fly the plane, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. He doesn't want to just straight up green lantern out and go full power
1: on it. Well, yeah. I mean, the first thing he does when he, when he, uh, when he's trying to lower a mountain on top of like the spaceship in the simulator. So nobody finds it. Like he gets distracted by a rattlesnake and drops the mountain and then, and then it's like, oh shit. Like it causes, you know, like seismic disturbances. So, you know, it's, it's kind of scary the amount of yeah. power he has.
0: Yeah. But then everyone having to, you know, put that aside and, uh, work together and, defeat this, you know, thing that seemingly kills Superman in one shot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cuz oh, so correct me if i'm wrong. The center, the giant laser island, that is Dinosaur Island, right? It yes. just lifts up out of the ocean. Yeah, it's like a, it's like the sentient core
0: of the island. I'm, I'm assuming it had like dirt and stuff piled yeah. on top of it. But it decided, fuck this, and stood up. And and like it it does some foreshadowing to that when um who was it? Was it the was it challenges of the unknown that went there like they go back to it to check it out and uh no it was um, a suicide squad
1: yeah yeah and and interestingly enough that wasn't in the original uh issues oh really yeah yeah i i, I didn't realize it until this time because i was reading the individual issues rather than the giant book because that book's so heavy and i was like laying on my back and i was like i can't i can't manage this thing like sitting on my stomach it hurts so in the original issues, that wasn't there. And then when I went to go, uh, when I went looking, you know, just to find my place in, in the big book, when I switched to a different position, I was like, Oh fuck. Like, I, I don't remember seeing this at all. And it, it was interesting that they went back to the loser's cave.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and, and, and she senses like some large something. Oh, and they make some comment about her being uh, empathic. Empath, yeah, an empath. Yeah, and she 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 feels it. And like, and it comes up. In, you know, it comes up in little bits, like when the when the Doctor Seuss analog guy Ted Smizel, Smizel, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, writes the story and then kills himself. Yeah, was uh, you know, so it you know it's there and it's it's a big threat. And I mean, and it's it is necessary to the story because the story is, a you know, getting people to come together. Mm-hmm. To face this giant, you know, humanity-threatening thing.
1: Yeah, and, and in that final gathering, you know, when they're all getting together at, uh, is it Cape Canaveral? to uh yeah. To fight the center or get ready to fight it. Like, they, they really do have all of these characters with different ideologies and different motivations, all having to hash it out. And then Superman's got a great, you know, like, uh, this is Sparta moment or whatever, you know, uh. uh to Cal. Bra- yeah. Braveheart speech. Yeah. Gathering everyone together. I, I and- love that
0: panel of him where, where you can tell he just clapped and his eyes are like glowing and he's, and he's just being like, cut this shit out. Cause they're yeah. like
1: bickering. That noise listeners was Ben thunderclapping his, uh, his microphone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah. He, he's like, guys, this is fucking serious. Get your shit together. I'm going to go check this shit out and I'll be right back. And then we're going to fuck this guy up. All right. And then he gets fucking blasted and he's gone and everyone's like, Oh fuck.
1: Yeah. Like, Oh, Superman's dead.
0: Oh boy! Okay.
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: he's right. This is serious.
1: Yeah, and then it was really cool. You know, there was there was a panel when I was looking at it when we were talking about you know all the background characters that are in there, and you know in in one panel they had Nathaniel Adam who you know he's he's in his human form but that's who becomes Captain Adam later on in in uh, in continuity. They've got Ray Palmer. Uh, Professor Haley, Professor Magnus. They've got the Chief from Doom Patrol, and then they've got uh, you know, outside of that they've got Adam Strange showing up. They've got the Blackhawks. They've got Sea Devils, and like we were talking about before, Slam Bradley. Like all of these these other characters, you know, just being in being in this story. And like it's weird because I'm I'm not upset that they're not you know they're not given their proper amount of screen time, but it's just really great to just see that they're there. You know, like, yeah, I know, I know who these characters are and they're all joining in to help. Well, and in, and in like the epilogue,
0: uh, ep, uh, the epilogue section, you get uh, like you see the metal Men and you see the Doom Patrol, mm-hmm. just kind of like in the, you know, um, montage, I yeah. guess, essentially
1: that w- of what it is. In the animated movie, it was a montage, you know, j- just like just like, uh, you know, they, they were playing the, the JFK speech, just, just like you were reading it in the story.
0: Yeah. And that speech is a fantastic way to end the book. Yes. Like it is like, like reading through it. It was, it was both inspiring. Like, cause it's a hell of a speech.
1: Mm-hmm. It,
0: it was inspiring and a little bit disappointing at the same time. Yeah. Cause you're reading it and you're like, yeah, fuck. Like this is, you know, like it applies to the time and you're like, it kind of s- still applies. Like, did, oh shit. Did we fuck this up? Yeah. Did, did, yeah, <laughs> like, we like He had this big call to action. did, did did we fuck it up? Yeah, they we fucked they, it up.
1: They biffed that one. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's almost like like when you've got a dude that, that believes that sort of, uh, that has those sort of ideals and aspirations, like, oh, may, maybe, uh, maybe there was a reason for people to want to off him.
0: Uh, yeah, 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 they wanted us to fuck it up. And yeah. uh, it's like, damn, and, you know, and, and just comparing that to like the last two presidents we've had, it's like, oh, boy, presidents don't talk like this anymore. Like, no. can, you, can you imagine Trump giving that speech? No.
1: <laughs> like, no
0: fucking way. Or Biden. Neither one yeah. of them. It's fucking ridiculous.
1: I can't imagine Obama giving... No, I, I, I could guess probably, I could see Obama. I could see Obama giving I don't it. think I could see Bush doing that. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it was before Bush Clinton. I yeah. could see Clinton. I mean, w- what's funny, though, is maybe maybe I'm just too cynical, but, like, I see, like, any of the last presidents giving that speech, you know, since I was a child... All right. I guess so the presidents of my entire life, starting with, uh, with Reagan, if I heard any of them giving that speech, I would, I'd think it was bullshit I'd be like, ah, somebody else wrote that. They don't believe it.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. This, this is,
1: this is fucking horseshit. Like,
0: I, I mean, even like we were saying, like Obama could deliver that speech compellingly. Yes. Whether or not I, you know, you'd believe what he, what he's saying. I don't know, but yeah.
1: I wouldn't be inspired by him. Like I would JFK. Yeah. But, uh. <laughs>
0: but Trump and Biden, I don't even think could deliver that speech competently. No. Or believably at all. Like it's like, <laughs> Oh boy. Oh, oh. getting political. This I'm geek
1: explorers in the podcast. Getting even political. Just
0: those guys, not great orators.
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Bunch of old farts. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, do you know if Darwin cook, like started with that speech as kind of like the impetus for this? Cause it ties in, it like wraps everything up in such a wonderful bow and fits the story so well that uh that it had to have been there from the beginning I think.
1: Yes, he did. That that was actually that was actually uh, a very early inspiration, you know, just the the entire era and the entire thought, you know, and like and like that encapsulates it really well.
0: Yeah, cuz I remember the first time I ro- I read it, I was like halfway through I'm like, "Wait, is this like a real JFK speech?" cuz it sounds like I kept like waiting for like a mention of Superman or something like that, to be like, oh, OK, no, it's not real. But no, it, it definitely was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, just to, to to cap off the story, like with the center, like, you know, the last issue turns much more into a straight up superhero story. You know, like like everyone's journeys have led to here and then here is where they are. Yeah. You know, I'll admit. I was running out of time. I had to skim over the uh, the last issue a bit. I I looked at every page, you know, and some some longer than others. Just I a, was, I was trying to remind myself if there was anything that I that I forgot. But no. And I'd watched the animated movie the night before with my kid,
0: and it does a pretty good job covering the last fight.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's it's all there. Um. You've got your Hal Jordan and Ace Morgan in the in the book. They've got Nathaniel Adam in there too. Heading into the center where things get all fucking trippy, which is also a, a, um, a nod to comics back then when, when, I mean, I guess it was a little later in the sixties though, when like Jack Kirby started experimenting with more collage and clip out and like, you know, freak out psychedelic looking things. But I guess he had, you had Staronko back then. Now that would be later in the sixties too, but. but, Well um,
0: before this was made. So you're still, he's still allowed to draw. Yeah, yeah. It's just stuff from stuff that's a little less
1: Yeah, it still feels of the era. Yeah. Um, and then I, I loved the, uh, you know, the little aha moment when they pull Ray Palmer in and they're like, oh, you're making advances in shrinking technology. It's like, yeah, but it makes it unstable. And then like the two professors look at each other like, ah. Oh. They both have
0: pipes hanging out of their mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's fucking great. Um, Which is a- appropriate for the era. There's a good bit of smoking in this, mm-hmm. in this book, just like there should be. Like yeah. some, some characters just always have a cigarette.
1: In that one panel that I was talking about with, like, the scientists and stuff, like, you had Professor Haley and Magnus, both had pipes. Uh, I think Nathaniel Adam, maybe, had a a cigar. You know, like, yeah, everyone's smoking. That's what you did back then. You smoked. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Surgeon General says it's good for you. It's good for babies. Pregnant ladies (laughs) go smoke those cigarettes. So we have Flash running around at near light speed to shrink this guy into blowing up. I gotta ask... How does Flash run along the underside of it? Like it's not big enough to have like a uh like a gravitational pull. He's going really fast.
0: I don't So he just falls slowly enough that that he's able to uh keep going. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it'd be funny if like if they had a shot of him like uh on the underside and he's just doing like double cyclone hands. So yeah, to hold
0: himself down. <laughs>
1: yeah. Just to to pin himself against the underside. Yeah, because
0: making that turn would be the hard part because he's got all that forward momentum.
1: Yeah. That he's got to turn and right go off. back
0: the other way. Yeah.
1: Uh boy, what fuck this book. <laughs> I know. Eat shit, Darwin <laughs> Cook. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they save the day. Aquaman brings Superman out my my kid was happy to see that cuz like she's all oh no another sea monster and I was like, ha, ha, ha. perfect and then you know bringing them out
0: i like the like the one military dude i can't remember who it was but it was like every time i crack a beer something else happens <laughs> and then the hatch opens up oh no Michael i missed Man that cuz i i was skimming
1: oh <laughs> um, and i love after that montage the fact that it that the very very last page is an homage, you know, but for a much more dynamic homage to the Justice League's first appearance cover with them fighting Starro. Yeah. I love it so much. You know, it, it's, it's such an excellent, uh, it's an excellent cap to it because it's like, here we are. It's, you know, Darwin Cook saying like, now I, like I've told my story. Now you know what, hap- or you know what happens after this. You can go read what happens after this, but here's what came before. And it, it makes me, it makes me love those characters so much more because now I understand where they came from, even though this is like his take on it, but it feels right. Oh like, yeah. Like all of these characters feel like they are the, the, uh, the correct representation of them. You know, like that's, th- this is who Hal should be. This is who Barry should be a Martian Manhunter. Like everything's consistent. Yeah. Which is,
0: Cause this is technically a, like a non-continuity story. Yeah. That said, when this came out, this continuity had been scrapped like three times over. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, all that got wiped out in... Uh, this was pre-New 52, so maybe only two times over.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Crisis had <laughs> wiped it out. Zero Hour had gone at it, too. And then coming out of either one of those, like, they tried to redo it with, like, JLA Year One with Mark Wade and Barry Kitson, yeah. which I really enjoyed that story a lot. But, I mean, it was still just... Just where the Justice Society landed in all of this and how they were still existing without being, you know, 80-year-old men and women. Like, they were trying so hard to have their cake and eat it, too. And, and it was it was just so messy for such a long time.
0: That's the problem with, you know, well, going on 100 years of continuity.
1: Yeah, this is going to be weird in, what, 16 years? Fucking Superman 100-year anniversary? Yeah. I hope I live to see it. I think you'll make
0: it another 16 years, John.
1: Uh, I I bet you'll make it another 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> I make no guarantees for myself. Uh, but, Sorry, um, Angelina.
0: Yeah, every everyone in this book feels like they're supposed to. Yeah, there's no point where you're like, bullshit. That guy wouldn't do that. Or at least I didn't have any of those. Like everyone seemed very character consistent with. Who I know them to be, which I think was very good. Like, yeah, Batman kind of shows off his detective chops by figuring out not necessarily who Martian Manhunter is, but knowing that fucking something ain't right there.
1: I love that line about you know like what is it? I I paid seventy thousand or seven hundred. I can't remember the number, but you know for the for the sliver to take down the other one, for you, all I need is a penny for a book of matches. Yeah. Oh.
0: I mean, even shit like Lois. Like Lois is even spot on in this. Like, I like how at the at the beginning when she's in Korea, she calls in a favor to get the, to get the chopper, and mm-hmm. you know, she's like, kind of like you know, and like not arrogant, but like you know, she knows what she can do, and she's and, in control and, and who she is. Yeah, and she's very
1: confident. She drops lots of GDs.
0: Yeah, and she's not uh, she's not as hardened at, at the beginning of the book, but then by the end of it, like I mean, she's like in the fucking thick of it you know, like yelling at the army guys. They're like, you know, don't you turn this chopper away. We're, you know, get yeah, the footage. shoot that shit. Yeah. yeah it's,
1: GD.
0: It's, uh, <laughs> she's done brilliantly. And she, I mean, it's Lois Lane. She's not even one of the heroes.
1: Yeah, but she is, she's not a damsel in distress one bit. No, not at all. No, yeah. she's. Not she has just... a very serious talk with Superman, you know, about, about what the world should be, you know, and, and like helping him find his way on top of the daily planet. You know, like it's, and I love that it's not a, it's not a romance story between them either. Like, like you see that there is, that there is love. In fact, like when, you know, when she's all pissed off, uh, you know, after Superman's been taken out of commission and then Rocky from the challengers yeah. is just like, oh yeah. Like, Time to slip yeah, exactly. And, and, and Jimmy Olsen is just like, yeah, uh, I don't know. He doesn't punch him or anything, but you know, I, I love that. He's just like, you idiot. Like, like she she, was l- in love. she loved him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like.
0: Jimmy Olsen too in this like like I read that Dar- Darwin Quick wanted to make him more competent and capable and not just like the hostage in waiting mm-hmm. that he so typically is yeah and, uh, and Gee he actually signal watch yeah he actually wanted him in the in the that first scene where they're rescuing Hal Jordan he wanted him to be the one that throws the grenades out of the uh, out of the helicopter and, and blows up the enemy soldiers mm-hmm. but the editorial staff was like that's a little
1: too competent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's have someone else do that
1: <laughs> <laughs> like you can have him hand the grenade to yeah, the like, guy if like you he, want but... he can
0: run out and say like he can grab Hal Jordan like under gunfire and bring him back or whatever like that that's cool <laughs> but like he's not gonna just kill a bunch of people okay? they, they,
1: they didn't want to put like a machine gun in his hand he's all,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> name's Jimmy fucking Olsen
1: <laughs> uh. yeah it's
0: great how they, they just everyone is consistent and, and full characters like there's not a lot of fluff in this at all and yeah. and everyone is complex like i mean like hal jordan you know he has to he has to fucking kill a guy mm-hmm. is a big deal to him and like every the weight of everybody's decisions on them especially the the non super folks like when flag dies and and like they're all willing to lay down their life and they and they all kind of recognize that they've that they're you know they've been serving a higher calling but uh they've done some real shitty things mm-hmm and you know they're they're either glad that they can go out nobly in the end or when someone dies uh, like when uh uh king what's his name
1: uh, king faraday faraday
0: king faraday <laughs> yeah like when like when faraday's sitting at flags grave afterwards and like you know kind of just lamenting what he has. Yeah. Cuz they're all just married to the job essentially. Like, you know, they're here to serve a purpose because if they don't, then uh, they're just going to sit around and think about how shitty they are. <laughs> and uh and that's something you you didn't get as much of in the old like pulp books. You yeah. got a little bit of it, but uh not quite as heavy.
1: Yeah, and and I like, you know, just in an overall sense, like speaking about the era and the characters and what they represent, like I love that with the two concurring or concurrent um, stories, you know, you, you've got Martian Manhunter, who's very much like the man on the outside. Like he's, he's the, the observer of the American way and like yeah. trying to figure out what it means to be an American in this time. And then you've got Hal Jordan, who is, you know, the participator in the, um, the American ideals, like the space race. Like he is the spaceman when America's like, trying to make that leap to the stars. And, you know, he, he's got all of these hopes and aspirations of getting there. You know, like, they... And he,
0: and he keeps his principles. Yeah. Like, he stays principled the whole time.
1: Although, you know, with him being, like, a pacifist in war, I don't know if they'd let him fly if he's not going to shoot at people, but instead, like, draw the fire of other people so they can get shot. Not to mention, if you're trying to keep your conscience clean, if you're just, like, luring people in to get to get killed... Yeah, like, you're you're not you're not clean from that. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 I noticed that. I was like, yeah, I don't know. If, I mean, I, whatever, whatever makes you sleep at night, Hal. But uh, yeah, you uh, are you're I partially you're, re- responsible for. I think you still kind of killed those people. Yeah, kind of in that vein. The uh, one of the other things I like about it, this book is that it takes place in our world, like it's unabashedly in the world that we live in. Yeah, and has a lot of references, like you know, it's got the JFK thing, it's got you know Eisenhower, it's got Nixon. Uh, before Nixon was president, obviously. But it's just got all kinds of, like, little details of things that uh, that tie it to our world. Because it kind of has to. Because, I mean, it's the themes and issues that it's addressing are very much real things that we encountered in this world. Uh, well, not us, because we weren't <laughs> alive yet. But yeah, that America parents. dealt with uh, in, in real life. And And to make, to kind of tie that in, it made it, you know, very much part of, like, the... That bar that young Hal goes to to meet Chuck Yeager, like Chuck Yeager's a guy, and I guess that bar was an actual bar. Yeah. That actual test pilots went to.
1: Yeah. Pancho was a was a real bartender. Yeah. She was a
0: real. She was like a, a like a like not a not a stunt pilot, but like a you know one of those like some sort of like a performing pilot. Yeah. Back in like the twenties, and opened that place up, and like anytime someone would die, she'd hang their picture on the wall. I don't know, just like little details like that, and like all like the like the articles that it would have in it. Mm-hmm. Like in a lot of comics, it would just have the headline and then like scribbles underneath. Like they all had things written in them that you could read. Yep. Like Like Darwin Cook writ, wrote like the beginning of a small article. <laughs> it was <some laughs> Information on it. Well, and there and was that in there.
1: there was that like three page like news report thing at the yeah. at, you know towards the it was the end of the first issue. I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think so. But I did love that that whole bar thing because it, it reminded me of my dad who. You know, I think he would have been a few years younger than Hal Jordan in this story, but my dad grew up idolizing Chuck Yeager and like my dad wanted to be a pilot. He was colorblind, so he couldn't fly. Oh, yep. um, but, you know, so I and seeing like the movie, the right stuff, you know, like they've, they've got like that bar and those characters in there and like, you know, the breaking of the sound barrier. And um, like it, it was really cool tying it to that, to that, you know, historical um, event, place, people.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just, it made it all a little bit more poignant and believable.
1: Yeah. Which I think uh, it just helps the story out. Yeah, that is great. Yeah, because it it is harder to, to connect yourself to a world if it's just like Superman in Kansas or Superman in Metropolis. Like, eh. Or even Hal Jordan in Coast City. Yeah, yeah, you have a lot of cities that aren't real. You've got Coast City
0: and Central City and Metropolis and Gotham, which, you know, they're clearly... You know, you've got, uh, what, L.A.? I'm not sure what Central City is, like St. Louis or something, maybe?
1: Uh, Central City. I've heard Central. and um, Gotham's definitely
0: like Chicago, I think. Yeah, I mean— Chicago mixed with New York, maybe. Because so, Metropolis is clearly New York.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of debate going on. And, like, um, Gotham is supposed to be, like, the dark side of New York. You know, and, and Metropolis, I've heard, is New York, but also as Toronto. Oh, really? um, I think Toronto's
0: the, very nice. Metropolis looks nice, so yeah, I guess and, that makes
1: sense. Central City, and I think it's Blue Valley or Blue something in Flash Comics, that's where Kid Flash lived, they're supposed to be like the Twin Cities. Oh, okay. Um, and then um, Coast City is supposed to be more like San Diego. I could see that. And... Um, Jeez, yeah. I don't know. I've I've also heard Metropolis is uh, is New York and Gotham is New Jersey, but I don't think that that quite I don't think holds. New Jersey is yeah. quite up to it. Doesn't have Gotham. that architecture. Yeah,
0: Newark doesn't quite uh, fit there. I don't know. <laughs> I
1: think maybe just because it's dirty. Sorry, everyone from New Jersey. I don't actually know anything about the East Coast. Um, the,
0: the, most of the people I've met, f- met that are from New Jersey are under no illusions as to what <laughs> New Jersey is.
1: Just didn't want this to be a river in Texas situation.
0: call us. Tell us that jersey's real fucking nice.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: All right. Well, you want to take a break?
1: Yeah, let's do that. Hey, future applauders. Do you like talking about movies? Like smart movies? Dumb movies? Science fiction movies? Horror movies? Fantasy movies? Do you like listening to people talk about a movie longer than it would take you to actually watch the movie? Do you sit with your friends and rant at great length about things you're passionate about? You may be interested in shocked and applaud. Join us while we go through peculiar movies, traditional movies, movies that we just like, movies that we find ourselves sort of like, huh? Do we follow somebody on social media and then they posted about a movie and we're just going to watch it now? Sure, why not? Our podcast is completely unscripted, so you're going to stumble through things with us because we stumble a lot. We're going to laugh. We're going to talk about what's problematic, but really it comes down to talking about movies
0: you can visit us at shocked and com, on twitter at shocked applaud and facebook at shocked and applaud
1: we hope to see you there
0: all right how you doing i'm doing splendid John. how was your how was your break my break was nice uh, i had a filling meal and uh i'm having dessert as we speak
1: yeah your wife uh, experimented and uh for those listeners who have been with us for a while there was corn in this there's <laughs> definitely corn it was a it was a pasta dish that had <laughs> corn in it
0: well, the corn was on the side that's true you put corn i in put it. the corn in it to yeah. eat it but uh i only had one bowl and you know i didn't want to get a second dish just for corn that's ridiculous
1: yeah it's all going to the same place uh <laughs> all right great yeah no that was a tasty dish though i i, I took a spoonful of corn separate And the corn was just fine. I was, I think I was, think I was happy or not having it together. But I'm also weird about mixing my foods. I don't like mixing shit. Oh, I love mixing stuff.
0: I'm not like I'm not gonna go quite as far as a blender, but uh, if I'm gonna eat it in the same meal, it's fine. Just all being together, it's like whatever. You know, I'll put fries on my hamburger, whatever. Still be tasty.
1: Yeah, I can see that. One thing I never think to do. And I guess it's going to be a long time before I try it again, is to put the hash brown on the egg McMuffin. I've heard people talk about how delicious that is. And it's like, that would that would save me so much time and grease on my fingers from yeah. pinching that that gross hash brown. Trying and, to keep
0: it in the paper and yeah. until it gets to the very end. Well, I, I can't imagine to be I mean, I usually take like, take a bite of egg McMuffin, take yeah. a bite of hash brown. So like, why not put the two together? Yeah, totally. I'll try it and I'll let you know how it goes, John.
1: Yeah. Oh, but you know, I, I did, I mean, not, not that I needed like permission or anything, but I did bring up uh, what we what we talked about in our off-topic debrief that ended up not being in the off-topic no. <laughs> debrief because it was part of the I wasn't recording section. Um, the whole idea that, you know, I'm taking this year off of off of fast food, but in March or April, Mexican pizza's coming back. So I just gave her a heads up. I was like i'm gonna give myself a one-time allowance oh you to, got to, because like
0: what would happen <clears> if like they cancel they took it away again on like december
1: 28th yeah oh yeah
0: <laughs> well, th- <laughs> you totally missed the window
1: for, for anyone who doesn't know because i did i bring it up in in a previous episode the mexican pizza yeah yeah oh yeah a couple times Well, no, just the fact that it was coming back in March or April. No, I don't think so. Okay, because I didn't say it just now. No, I think that got that. Oh, yeah, I brought it up. And then you're like, oh, well, you're taking a year off of fast food. Uh, Yeah, so the Mexican pizza is going to be back in March or April. And there is no way I'm not going to uh, have one. Because I made one myself and it was delicious, but it wasn't the same. All right, so uh, we're talking fast food, right? Yeah, yeah. Fast food redux. Shockingly,
0: no Mexican pizzas in the new frontier. (laughs)
1: so i say we move into the realm of the animated movie if that is all right with you because you are my fellow host
0: uh yeah no i think that's the right way to go because i mean i'll get it out of the way right now i guess uh that's gonna be my favorite use in pop culture because uh it's like a specific arc of a comic uh there's not a lot of uses in pop culture that you know i don't think it's quite permeated the
1: zeitgeist to the point where there's, like, lots of cool references to yeah it's Frontiers. Like, it's like when we did Killing Joke. Like, there's no yeah. Killing Joke video game. Oh, well, I guess there was an animated... Oh, never mind. Animated movie. It is just like Killing Joke. Yes, it's
0: very similar, <laughs> in fact.
1: <laughs> uh, but, I, I imagine we're going to have a bigger problem when we eventually do Kingdom Come. One day they've got to do an animated movie of that. I'm shocked they yeah, haven't.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of surprised they haven't as well. Spoiler alert, that's my favorite use in pop culture. So let's go ahead and talk about it, I guess.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, full disclosure. I really, well, I'm sure this won't be any surprise. I really, really like this movie. Um, like, I feel like it was it was a a great distillation of what the um, what the comic book was. Like, for an animated movie, like you technically don't actually need the Task Force X or the uh, or the Challenger stuff. Even though it is better and it's a richer story for having it, you know, yeah, in the comic book. You don't miss out on a lot not yeah. having it there. Like this needed to be at least a little bit more of a of a narratively structured, you know, movie story, you know, like like more of a hero's journey, which, as we touched on earlier, like it definitely is more Hal's movie than anybody else in this. Like it's we're we're following Hal through this
0: yeah and i didn't get to uh i didn't get to re-watch it specifically for this but i i watched it maybe two years ago
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was probably the last time i saw it so i'm not super on on like all the little details of it but uh, but as i remember it it was it's a it's a good faithful retelling of the story it gets all a lot of the same themes and and feelings across that the book does mm-hmm. You know, and it's not four hours long, which is how long it'd have to be if they really wanted to touch on everything, I got a feeling. So that was That's a good true. call. And one of the other things I really like about it is the art style, because they definitely, you know, drew their inspiration for the art, which, you know, like we said, Darwin Cook's a little cartoony anyway, so it's a fairly easy transition to make.
1: Well, and and he came from the Bruce Timm Animation yeah. Studio. Like, it, it, it made sense. But that was also a time back when... Uh, Warner Brothers Animation used to, when when they were adapting an arc, they would try to match that artist's style. Like, uh, public, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, and Supergirl, you know, followed Ed McGinnis' style and yeah. Michael Turner's, respectively. And they, they sort of dropped that, like, once they started doing, like, you know, uh, Justice League War and started having that, like, kind of anime-inspired side. Oh, I guess it started with Flashpoint. I really appreciate when they try and make it look like the artist, the original artist's work, or at least love in it.
0: some semblance. Like, you're not going to do... Like, like if, if it was someone whose run was really detailed or... Um,
1: or Hush, where Jim Lee drew it. Yes,
0: like, yeah, exactly. Like You you're can't not gonna, do that. I mean, you can, but oh boy, that's going to be a lot of work to try and
1: animate a Jim Lee book like Jim Lee. Well, and with Jim Lee, you know, like, he does have a certain style with faces and stuff, but once you take out all those little lines, like, it doesn't feel like Jim Lee anymore. Yeah. Like, Michael Turner... He's, he's one of those artists that has a lot of detail, but he also, his work is so stylized that in the character designs and the structure of the body, you can make it look like, like Michael Turner's stuff, even, even though it's, it loses some of the detail with like Ed McGinnis, you know, his stuff is not very hyper detailed. So you just have to make them uber bulky and, and, you know, design the faces a certain way and uh and it it mimics it well, but yeah, with Darwin Cook's style, like it translates so well, and you know, reading the book and watching the movie, it's almost like the book was just storyboards because you know the the way he he splits his uh his pages, Darwin Cook, the way he splits his pages into uh you know like three panel grids like yeah. equal three panels, sometimes he'll cut into them a little bit or expand when he needs to, but it's always on that grid and basically what each one of those are is, is a widescreen storyboard panel. So there, yeah. there, there, there are countless, well, I mean, you could count them, but there are tons of moments in, uh, in the animated movie where it, it could be, you know, a setup for, for a for a shot that's not super quick or a super quick shot where it's just like, I remember that panel from the comic book. Like it's directly from there.
0: I mean, it wasn't in the movie because it was from part of the book that got, or
1: that got cut, but the, uh,
0: but the, the, to the way he does that kind of storyboard style, like I remember early on, one of the panels is when, uh, I think Gunner's diving for the bazooka and mm-hmm. it's still just the, the one center panel, but he split it into three, but instead of, but it's like the same background, like the same scenery, but you see like three points in time as like he's like turning and diving and then like pick, picks up the bazooka and fires mm-hmm. it. And it like, it just gives it, a, you know, single panel essentially split into three times. Yes. Of the same shot. And uh like you could transition that to animation
1: super easy. Yeah, those are essentially keyframes. Yeah, it
0: tells you exactly what you need to know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Like, my, I think my favorite instance of it, it's such a quick little moment, but it looks good. Like, I like it in the comic, but I think it looks even better in animation is uh, when Hal and Carol are, uh, are going to that little like manhole. So she's going to show them like the big underground yeah. Ferris operation. And there's like a brief little moment when she's like halfway down the thing and she's got like this little lean and where she, you know, like, uh, I don't know what it is. It's the, the shape of the body. It just looks like a little sassy lean. She's, she's like sor- sort of turning back to say something to him. And like, like it's such a classy little move that he put in his comic book. Like she could have just as easily been, you know, just climbing down like, Oh, I'm climbing. But instead it was like, it, it, it had a little like motion and style to it. And then seeing that is seeing it in motion with the animation like, I was like, oh, shit, that's from the comic. Oh, I love that. Or the other one that stands out to me is when Wonder Woman crashes her, uh, her invisible jet and she's all bloody yeah, on it's the all inside. all bloody
0: on the inside, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and Superman breaks it open when he picks her up and, like, yells for a medic and flies away. Like, I, I was like, oh, that's, that's the comic panel in motion. Love it.
0: I mean, when, when you're starting with something as, oh, like, such a solid foundation, like, yeah, don't reinvent the wheel, man. Like, like we said earlier, he's such a good visual storyteller that it, it works like that. Like exactly. That the, what he drew tells the story so well that, you know, when you're animating it, all you have to do is fill in the gaps mm-hmm. and make it move. And, uh, and they did a good job with this one. I mean, like, I, I think this is a much better adaptation than Killing Joke was. Oh, yeah. By, like, a lot. <laughs> yeah. But for, for very, you know, different reasons. I mean, like. I don't remember anything at least that was like drastically changed that made the story worse in this animated one or even a whole lot that was drastically changed other than stuff kind of getting left
1: out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there were a couple little setting changes like um, in the book, Superman is like using his his vision to like uh, check out microfilm and then he yes. goes and meets Batman on like sort of like a mountain or not a mountaintop, but like, you know, outskirts of the city. The usual spot. Yeah, yeah. Where whereas in the uh, in the animated movie they had Batman using one of those little like knobby turny you know checkout microfilm machines that we had in the library yeah, when we the were micro-fish. kids. Yeah, microfiche. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And um, and Superman comes to the cave, but you know it's basically all the same there. But yeah, for the most part, like it's all there, like. They kept the, the core elements of the story and like all the themes of like hope and paranoia and self-doubt and desire and compassion, racism, justice. Like it's all there, but you know, like I said, just distilled, you know, like it's, they just simplified it, but there's they yeah. I can't think of a single thing that is wrong about it. Yeah. Or they did it poorly or changed something they shouldn't have. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's all, it's all from Darwin Cook's mind and they just, they stripped some things away but it it didn't kill the final product for me, whereas, you know, it really could. You know, there, there are lots of instances where, you know, they translate a book to a movie and you lose all sorts of shit and having read the thing beforehand, you go, this fucking sucks. But I don't think that's the case in this. I really enjoy this animated movie.
0: No, and, we, and we've talked about adaptations before because the adaptation doesn't need to be like a shot-for-shot shot remake of, of the comic book. Like, you can capture the feeling of it without doing that. Same thing with books. Like they don't need to be dead on if you capture the feel of the movie and the theme of the movie and you can you can change some things and it's okay. Uh but more often than not they change things that are not okay.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I'm glad that that they kept true with this one because it's a John it's Hammond a joke. being
1: a kindly old fart that lives. <laughs> Ugh I don't know why, but Jurassic Park, I think that that was probably my my first impression of people bitching about a book being better than the movie. I, I never
0: read the book. So, me either, uh, but
1: I just remember people bitching about if, it a lot. And if people
0: are angry about it, I don't want to because I love that movie and I have no <laughs> no
1: reason, I don't want it to be ruined. Yeah, yeah, John Hammond dies, Spoilers. You know, my my favorite use in pop culture with this is, I'm, I'm treating this similarly to how I treated The Killing Joke because it's, you know, it is just sort of a product that exists in, I, you know, I can choose between animated movie or the book or what, but what I chose to do was pick my favorite form of it. So I've owned this in many different, uh, formats, whether, you know, I, I don't think I ever had, you know, on its first run, well, I guess I could mix my first impression into this. Cause on my first, on its first run, I didn't pay attention to it. Like I remember seeing the covers in the comic shop, but it just wasn't for me at the time. You know, like Darwin Cook wasn't my thing. I think back then I was much more into like the Jim Lees and the Arthur Adams and stuff that was more detailed. Um, yeah, yeah absolutely. I,
0: on that note, I was kind of curious, how did this come out? Because I, uh, like, as I'm reading it, I'm like, there's no way this was like a monthly 22
1: page comic. It definitely wasn't 22 pages. I think it did come out monthly, if I'm being honest, or or bimonthly. Um but it came out in six issues that were each like 65 pages a piece.
0: Okay, that yeah, that that makes more sense because like you're looking at it and you're like like the intro story is freaking 32 pages long mm-hmm. on its own. It's like there's no way they cut this in the middle somewhere and even you know, it comes in such big chunks. Like it was not made to be consumed twenty to twenty-two pages at a time. Yeah, no. And it would have. I mean, even I guess sixty-five. I I could see that being like, a, you know,
1: some decent-sized books. Like sixty-five pages is a, is a big comic. That's book. fucking gnarly, dude. Like I mean, our first issue was forty pages, and that's a big book. And um, there was there was a comic series in the last year that came out called uh, Ultra Mega, and his first issue was like. 48 pages or something it's just like this is fucking badass there's this is there's so much meat in here yeah like, absolutely i'll I'll pay twice the cover price to get a book that is you know twice or just over twice the size well, like, I, I love to get a big chunk
0: and imagine if you picked up you know i don't know how they how they marketed it if they marketed it at all other than some previews you know imagine if it was just that initial story and you picked it up and all you read about was the losers on dinosaur island you'd be like what the fuck does this have to do why is superman on
1: the cover of this what is going on <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> where where's green lantern
0: yeah it'd be it'd be kind of confusing so it makes sense cuz it it really is meant to be read as one big story it's yeah. it's not episodic at all no and uh so it it just it reads a lot differently than Even a normal trade does.
1: Well, and, and yeah, that like to the, to it not being episodic at all, like it shows, because I think reading, when I was reading from the big book, there was only one time where, where I was able to, where, where I just happened to notice. I was like, oh, I bet this was an issue break. And I double checked and I was like, yep, yeah, I was. But like, other than that, like it, it just flows. I mean, like, it's got it just chapters.
0: There are chapters in it, so it has like that little chapter panel occasionally. But
1: yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't coincide with hmm. anything, you know, starting or finishing a book. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: All right, so yeah, go ahead. Continue with your first impressions. Sorry. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> um. So you know, years went by, and. I like, I don't remember exactly what the circumstances were, but at some point it must have been after I came around to like Bruce Tim style stuff. Cause I didn't like his stuff when I was younger either, but one day it just clicked and I was like, Oh, this storytelling is so great. This simplified anatomy is fantastic. I see where the influences come from. I see why it's great. Um, so I just took a chance and I bought the, the two trades that or maybe I bought the first one and read it and then bought the second one, but it, it originally came out in two trades, um, two parts. And I fell in love with it. Like it was, it was amazing for all the reasons we've spoken about already. And I eventually bought the absolute edition, which is DC comics, like large format, hard cover. It's got a, a lot of extra back matter and stuff, which all of that seems to have been printed into the one, the volume you were reading, yeah. the black label one, which whatever edition they call it. So my favorite use in pop culture, just like with killing joke is my favorite form of the story, which is the absolute edition. I you know it is it is a little hefty and hard to read because it's heavy and big, but I love the larger format. I love being able to see the artwork larger. How big is it? Like eleven by seventeen, or it's not no, that big. No, no, right? it's not that big. It's it's probably like twelve inches tall, whereas a normal comic is around ten inches. Yeah, and um, it's cased It's got the nice little book tassel in there. Like the pages are nice and heavyweight. Like it is. It's just a classy volume, and it's also the first. Uh, absolute edition I ever bought. I've got a few of them. I don't I don't collect them or anything, but you know, when something's important like All Star Superman or Kingdom Come, you know, I've got absolute editions for those. Just when I want to see it larger. I don't imagine they've ever put out like an artist edition of this. It would be enormous. No, I mean it'd be awesome though. <laughs> I don't know what Scott Dunbeer's doing because, you know, I know I know he and Darwin Cook, you know, work together and and you know, Darwin Cook did stuff for IDW. Like I don't know if it's just a matter of trying to track down the artwork, you know, if, because I know Darwin Cook sold his stuff. I'm such, a, I feel like such an asshole for, you know, years ago, I saw some of his, like, uh, his Parker pages for sale at Comic-Con. And from what I remember, they weren't unreasonably priced. Like, I don't know why, but, like, I I could have gotten a page for, like, a few hundred bucks. And I wish I would have. Uh oh, just those washes that he, that he did on there. And, uh, <laughs> never mind. Sorry, I'm angry. <laughs> um, the Absolute Edition is my favorite use in pop culture. The very second they put out a Darwin Cook uh, Artist Edition, I, I am there. Like, I've kind of stopped looking and, and buying those, but there's no way I would not buy an Artist Edition for yeah, uh, Darwin yeah. Cook.
0: I mean, I guess on that note, my first impression was the movie also. I think I saw... Also? Well, because it was also my...
1: Oh, your favorite, favorite years. Pump pump. Okay. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but yeah, I saw the movie before I ever read the book. Do you remember where you saw... Like, did I bring it over to you or... Almost certainly. Okay. Yeah, I don't... Uh, it doesn't seem like the thing you would like Redbox or... No, no. It, yeah, because like,
0: it was
1: 2008-ish. So yeah, back in those days, we didn't have you didn't many have streaming, streaming services. services
0: <laughs> so it was... Uh, I I I would imagine it was you that brought it over. Probably. That's, that's my general conduit for stuff like that. Yeah. I remember watching it and enjoying it and uh, then reading
1: the book afterwards because it was good and I liked it. <laughs> there we go. I was, I was hoping for it. You don't, you don't say that very often. <laughs> that, that expression is near and dear to my heart. Well, yeah. One word review? Final thoughts? Yeah. Okay. I, f- I feel like so many of my final thoughts are... Um, <laughs> have already been said. like, But I guess, I guess that yeah. is sort of what it is. It's a wrap-up. It's not a descriptive word. It's, uh, I mean, it's more of a verb, I suppose. Oh, geez, I don't even know. I'm. Uh, you don't know what part
0: of speech it is?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not an adjective. It's not a person, place. Well, I guess it could be a... Th- no, I don't know. It's not an actual physical thing. Okay, my one-word review... I guess that's the problem is that it's a review, but my one word descriptor for this one, I'm going to say is just storytelling. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, this, this, we've talked about Darwin cook and what a, an amazing storyteller he is and just the way he visually composes everything. Like it would be my greatest honor in life to be the kind of storyteller he is. And you know, like he, he just, he does everything right. He, you know, if you're going from panel to panel, if there are characters who are supposed to be doing things or, or, you know, like if you're following one character, but say there's a character in the background, you see them in one panel and then you see them in the next one still doing the thing that they are doing, but just they've also progressed in time. Yeah. You know, like, like if they were picking something up off the ground, you know, maybe in the next panel, they're sort of like looking at it like, what is this? Or throwing it away or something like he is a uh, he is a masterful storyteller everything makes sense when you're when you're watching what he does i
0: think there was only one point in this entire book where i had to think uh, like reconsider whether or not you know who somebody was get the
1: fuck out of here like
0: at the boxing match there was uh there was two blonde guys they were in different suits but there was two blonde guys and I, and it t- and, and sitting next to women with black hair different hairstyles so like it was all on me but, like I went to the next panel I was like wait are they the same people like no oh no okay these are different people
1: Oh yeah, it's, uh, between Oliver Queen and uh, yeah, yeah, Ace I'll, Morgan.
0: Yes, yeah, where they don't, they didn't look super different, other than they're wearing different suits. Yeah,
1: yeah, and you know that 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 does kind of suck because one thing I really love in the in the back matter of the Absolute Edition is um uh, was it in that it's either that or in the special that I need to give you. Darwin Cook drew like. Everybody's face, but it was like the alter egos' faces, and and I loved looking at it. And I've I've done this myself, and probably after seeing this, for all I know, but just like like seeing all the difference in the shapes of noses and the slight you know different jaw lines and you know stuff that that differentiates everybody. Because I, you know, that stuff really does bother me when I when I'm reading a comic and I'm like, if I put you know Superman's haircut on Aquaman, there they are the same person. Yeah. And that's something that I try to do in my own stuff, you know, that, like, I know my women aren't, aren't that varied, but like, you know, even just the shape of a nose being different or the eyebrow being slightly different or the, the, you know, the jaw shape being a little more angular, you know, I, I try really hard to not make everybody look the same. So I appreciate it when, uh, when somebody else puts that kind of care into it.
0: For me, like I've always been a, uh, mustache and goatee, Oliver Queen fan, but that's way after... I mean, he didn't have that. No.
1: Green Arrow did not have that in the Silver Age. That wasn't until
0: the 80s, I
1: think. I mean, if I'm being honest, it was 70s at least. It, it might have even been 60s. I don't know. Yeah, it was after the Silver Age for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was hard-traveling heroes time. Yeah, I know Definitely then had he it. definitely had yeah. like the Errol Flynn... Yeah,
0: ex- the ex- Robin except, Hood. Except like, you know, bigger mustache thing going on.
1: But yeah, I, I think... Um, what I appreciate most about Darwin Cook and DC New Frontier is the storytelling of it. It's, it's beautiful. The art style isn't, isn't for everyone. It wasn't for me when I was younger. Um, it certainly is now. I love his stuff. But you can't deny that he is a masterful storyteller.
0: Yeah, when it comes to uh, comic books, uh, you're generally more like a look at the art guy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm generally more of a the story guy. Like the the story is more important to me than the art. Like I'll read something with some you know less you know art that I'm not super into if it's got a gripping story, but I know that you know bad art is just going to put you off. Yeah, r- you know right away. If you can't buy into the art, you're not going to read the story regardless. That
1: is one hundred percent true, and it and it sucks. It's awfully shallow of me, but I, I was at Barnes and Noble last night just perusing the 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 racks, and there were a couple of books where you know like. The cover looks interesting. I open it up and I look at two different pages and I can just tell like, nope, I, I can't get into this. Yeah. And I, I, I wouldn't be able to set, set aside my disdain for, no, I can't say my disdain for bad art because that's awfully pretentious. But but just art that I that I don't enjoy, I can't get into the story.
0: Yeah, thankfully this one hits both. Yeah, yeah. Just fine. Uh, so my one word review is uh, immersive. Yeah. Uh, which is not one you know, generally necessarily get from comic books but i i feel like reading through this book you get immersed in the story like you get you get to know these characters to a degree that you don't get to do in comic books very often and and we kind of mentioned this earlier but the fact that you like you really buy into their their stories as people not as heroes or you know they're not there to they don't show up just to fight a bad guy and then they win the day and that's the story Mm -hmm. like it is the story of all these people's personal lives and how they're affected by the events in the world and how they interact with one another and and their relationships and it really sucks you in and when things happen especially like when people die because people die in this book fairly mm-hmm. regularly well I mean, not regularly but I mean there are a lot of characters in this book that that end up dying. Yeah. You're moved by it or when something big happens like you you feel for these characters which is not which I don't encounter a lot in comic books. A lot of the time you're more there for the fucking beat up stuff or for something that's going on, but it's there's always action. There's always things happening. Yeah, and, excitement. Yeah, and stuff going on, which I also love, but it doesn't really give you a lot of time to, to feel like you know these characters as people outside of their alter egos.
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking as you were saying that, that like in this story, these larger-than-life characters are human beings. Yeah, very much. Like that, that they are more human than they are superhuman in this. Like even Flash with his powers, or Martian Manhunter with the ability to read minds, is
0: isn't human at all. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, like
1: like you are invested in the story of of the person behind the superhero. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah, and it's and it just it is immersive. It, it really sucks you into the universe. You know, it makes you and the fact that it all takes place in you know more or less real life America in the nineteen fifties.
1: Yeah, that's a real reference point.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a touchstone that where you can really relate to the characters. I mean, it helps you understand I mean, you could gain a greater understanding of that period in American history by reading this book, which is pretty rare.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think that happens right now at all, you know. I mean, I mean I'm sure I don't want to start trying to analyze today's comics with today's, you know, I mean, today's got such a Tumultuous political landscape or ideological landscape that that I feel you know wasn't it, it was more simple back then. There there was a bit more black and white and a bit more naivete, like we were saying before.
0: Well, I, but I think that there wasn't necessarily. I mean, that's one of the misconceptions I that I feel is rampant is that you know you look back at history and go, oh well, they, it was simpler times, and it you know it it wasn't necessarily. People still led a very complex and complicated human lives all throughout human history regardless of of what what else was going on and i think what the this book benefits from the uh, the ability to look back at the 1950s with you know from the viewpoint of the turn of the millennium and see it for what it is and it's hard to do that in the time comic books weren't weren't really able to effectively do that in the time then either and you know 30, 40 years from now, maybe some, you know, brilliant young man will, uh, will, will do something just as poignant for, for our time when they've had, when they've had the, you know, the distance to, to really think about it critically. Yeah. And, to
1: actually get perspective. Yeah. And, you know, and, and they'll probably look back and go, you know what? When the internet was just Facebook and just the internet, things were so much simpler.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When, when I when didn't we, have that chip in my brain. Yeah.
1: We just had, they, they, they had mobile phones and they were still driving cars on the road. Yeah. They could turn their phone off. Yeah. No jet packs. <laughs> <Weird>. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, and it's simpler uh, times. Exactly. You know, you, you, people have always been people and, and life has always been complicated and complex and messy and, you know, simplifying things, you know, it, it, everything seems more complicated to you because you're living it. And so when you, are you know, when it's, something's abstract, it's, uh, it's, you know, even when people think of the future and they think of like, you know, this great utopia, like, oh, look how simple things are then everything's working. I look at Star Trek. Everything's so wonderful and
1: smooth. (laughs) Uh, Everything's so boring. Whoa, what?
0: (laughs) But it's, uh, you know, everything, everything's more complicated in your life than anyone else's. So it's, it's hard to think outside that box.
1: Your life is definitely much simpler than mine.
0: (laughs) But yeah, I like immersive because it, it's a story that just really sucked me in. And even though it's not, it's not action all the time. It's, no. In fact, there's a lot of not action in this book. Yeah. But it, it built a world that I bought and, yeah. I, and I believed in and, and cared about the outcome of.
1: Yeah. Like you're living with those characters. And, and, and I think that that's, that's exactly the point. You care about these characters. Yes. Like you're, you're following their journey and you actually do feel for Hal. Yeah, you know, like maybe yeah. not necessarily like his his PTSD from war, but like you see every step of what he's trying, you know, trying to get to the place he wants to be. He wants to get to the stars. He's frustrated that that he can't do this and that this failed for him and then I mean that revelation that like you know that that flag and Ace Morgan and everybody was just looking out for him. You know, and the, you know that he got scrubbed from the mission out of respect for his father, you know, to keep him safe. Yeah. Like that was fucking that that hit me. I forgot about that. Cuz that's not in the movie. Um in the movie yeah. Hal actually does go on go on the mission. Yeah. You know, there there's no there's that's no true. Task Force yeah. X. It's just it's Hal and Flag and Flag needs to hit the uh hit the self-destruct and then Superman comes up and saves Hal. Yeah. But uh yeah, that I mean and in that that was a bummer cuz we missed that really touching moment between um Flag and uh K- Karen. No.
0: Yeah. Karen. It was Karen, Karen Grace. K-A-R-I-N. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Good.
0: Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, he's like, like, you know, your life fl- flashes before most people's eyes, but, uh, who'd want to remember my life? So, yeah. uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to remember the life I wish I had.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah, they go together. Like that was a very touching moment. That's right. That's right. Before uh King, uh, yep. has his little reflective moment.
0: You know, like, like you said, the storytelling, it's just a good story with full
1: characters mm-hmm.
0: yeah, that uh, all too often comic book characters are a bit one dimensional.
1: Yep. And uh, this ain't that. Nope. So uh, go go check it out. Um, if, I mean, like you were saying on our break, like we didn't really spoil too many story details. Like I think somebody could, somebody who hasn't read it and is listening to this episode could still go and really enjoy it. Like a whole lot. Yeah, I mean... Like I we mean, didn't destroy the what this is.
0: I mean, I've seen the movie multiple times and read the book a couple times and still thoroughly enjoyed reading it
1: yesterday. Yeah, it today. was a pleasure having, having a reason to have to do it again.
0: This book really is about the journey and not about the destination.
1: Yeah. So go out there, go to your local comic shops and pick up a copy. If they don't have it on the racks, like the shops I tried around here, have them order it from you yeah. or for you. Um, I shouldn't have said anything about Amazon earlier because that's putting people out of business. Yeah. Fuck those guys. Yeah.
0: Even though that's kind of where I got my copy. Yeah, if, if I I'm... could have bought a digital copy from my couch for my local comic shop, I would have. I mean, you know, what kind of sucks <laughs> is like,
1: I really like I went around all the shops to try to find one for a friend. I just couldn't make it happen. Uh, and now he's back at home in Utah and I'm like, Oh, well shit. Like I,
0: we were on a deadline for this. So yeah. uh, that makes, uh, that's my justification.
1: All right, folks. Well, thank you for uh, for traveling uh, to this new frontier with us today. Uh, if you want to let us know how we did today, uh, hit us up at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com or you can uh, find us on the social medias, Facebook, geek Exploration the Podcast, Twitter, geek Explore Pod, or Instagram at Geeksploration Podcast. Um, you can call us at 916 orcturd that is 916 o r c t u r d call and uh, talk to us about what you want to hear dinner advice we could even talk to to Ben's wife about what what we can uh add corn to to make it a complete meal whatever you're
0: eating tomorrow just add corn
1: add corn that's what Ben's wife would do <laughs> All right. So as promised, we are going to tell you all what we're going to do for our next episode in two weeks. Holy shit. Look that at us, means getting ahead of the game. Yeah. You actually have time to uh, to hit us up on any of the social medias or 916 Ork turd, and uh, let us know what you think about this. And we actually
0: have time to let us know what we think
1: of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we've actually got research time. So um, before Friday the 21st. Uh, hit us up with your thoughts, and if you call and leave a message on 916 OrcTurd, we'll feature you on the show, so uh, please do. Oh yeah, the topic that we're going to yeah. do <laughs> is uh, none other than those little bricks that you love, Lego. We're going to get back into some toys.
0: Yeah, yeah, we haven't done toys in a while, and uh, Lego is an uh, integral part of my childhood, at oh. least. Spoiler alert, not mine. <laughs> I've seen your spaceships. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, fuck you. <laughs> and if you enjoyed this episode or any of our others, uh, head on over to Podchaser or Apple Podcast and leave us a 5 suffer and susie review. <laughs> we got merch at uh, shop.geekexplorationpodcast.com. We are a member of the Geekly Grind Comcast comcast (laughs) (laughs) we are a member of the geekly grind podcast network and uh our theme song is cruising for goblins by kevin mcleod of incompetech.com until next time
1: there's the door spaceman